Umajina Trabanandasya, Junajina Salakaya, Chakshun Militanyena, Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha. Panchakopatubhyascha, Kripasidnabhivacha, Patitanam Pabane Bhyo, Vaishnava Pejo Namona Maha. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Nasta preyeshu abhyeshu nicham bhagavata sevaya bhagavatyutama shloke bhaktir bhavati naistiki Good evening everyone. We have a interesting discussion this evening. Lots of technical information. Historical information. Chronological information. So we'll begin by chanting four verses from the first canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, seventh chapter, dealing with the revelation of Srila Vyasadeva, which are central to the theme of Srila Jiva Goswami's Satsandarbhas. Central in that he says they're the nucleus around which the entire Bhagavatam should be viewed. And we will hopefully come to a, a point in this evening's discussion where he'll will bring that out again in a very particular way. Translation. In that mind which was undisturbed because it was pure from the performance of bhakti, he saw Lord Krishna complete with all his energies and spiritual expansions and also saw Maya who took shelter behind the Lord. Bewildered by that maya, the jiva, though separate from the three gunas, considers himself made of the three gunas and takes on material existence created by the gunas. And Vyasa saw bhakti yoga to the Lord, which effectively destroys jiva's samsara. Learn Vyasa then wrote the Bhagavatam for ignorant people. By hearing Bhagavatam Bhakti for the Supreme Lord Krishna appears. Hearing it also destroys lamentation, illusion, and fear in the human being. So when we look to these four verses as the nucleus around which all the various knowledge related in the Bhagavatam is to be seen, we have to understand what the significance of that is. What's Jiva really trying to get across? He said, uh, right at the very beginning of this section of the Tattvasandarva, Tattvasandarva began with a discussion of what is the nature of knowledge? How does one acquire knowledge? One, How does one establish a valid method of a acquisition of knowledge. Pramana and what's knowable, Pramaya. So this section has been dealing with what's knowable. Uh, he established the valid method of knowledge is to hear from Scripture because our senses and all the knowledge that we can acquire with the senses will only take us so far. It's limited. We're going to hit a barrier. We're going to hit a barrier it's a pretty high bar, even with what we do, do have, but it is going to be 
There's a limitation there. We are not going to be able to perceive knowledge beyond sensory input unless we enter into samadhi. But our samadhi, even that, even when we have realized knowledge, we've got to recognize those realizations and be able to validate them. These verses from the Bhagavatam and where we're going to end up this evening when we look at Pramaya, what is knowable. What is knowable is what is revealed in transcendental sound and we have to see that that transcendental sound is the basis upon which spiritual revelation, spiritual experience beyond what we can have with the senses, is comprised of. What I mean by that, and what he's going to end up this section making perfectly clear is, there has to be some revelation. And the revelation has to be verifiable in that it corresponds with the revelation of other great saints and sages. So he's brought us to this point, and he said, the Bhagavatam revolves around this nucleus of the revelation of Srila Vyasadeva. He entered into Samadhi, and what did he do? He perceived the Supreme Lord. And he perceived that the Lord has multipotencies, both within his spiritual existence and that are experienced within the material realm by the jiva. So his intrinsic and his extrinsic potencies are there, and there is also maya, who is one of his potencies, his external energies, and there's the jiva, his fragmental conscious particles. So he perceived this in his samadhi and he saw as he had entered into that samadhi for a specific purpose, he saw a remedy. He was looking for, what's the best thing I can do for humanity? Imagine the heart, the heartness of, of somebody that says, I want to do the best I can for humanity. Like Sumati brought up the other day, I have a friend. She only wants to do good. It's her good, I don't see her good in a spiritual light. It's a great good. She thinks she's going to do the, the very best, and she's giving her whole life for other people's benefit. But here we have well-grounded and well-conceived good for humanity by Srila Vyasadeva. So back to the revelation. So we've come to this point. Srila Vyasadeva entered into Samadhi and had a revelation. His revelation corresponded to the revelation that Sukadeva Goswami had, had when he heard the, the verses from the Bhagavatam. Because when we hear this transcendental sound vibration, it immediately draws us to the Supreme. Immediately there is a change in consciousness. Unfortunately, that change of consciousness is dependent upon how much we're influenced by what? Deep psychic impressions. 
samskaras that tend to block our perception of spiritual reality. Now, those samskaras are easily removed by this hearing process, but it may take some time. But Srila Vyasadeva, he was already perfectly situated, and Srila Sukadeva, as we're going to hear this evening, he was also completely well situated in Brahman, Brahmananda. He was in the Ananda of Brahman. He was a Jivan Mukta. It doesn't get any better than that. He was a man in this world, but not of this world. But he hadn't yet touched the transcendental sound vibration. So this revelation, this is the, again, the nucleus around which the Bhagavatam revolves. The nucleus is spiritual revelation. And the Bhagavatam gives us the groundwork of knowledge to make sure that the revelation we're having is not simply a hallucination. Because these revelations correspond to each other. All these great saints and sages, when they either enter samadhi or they, they come in contact with the Supreme, they perceive the same transcendental personality, the same absolute truth. They may perceive him to differing degrees, but that's more of a technicality that we're not going to touch this evening. We like Krishna. Some devotees like Ram. Some devotees are attracted to, attracted to the Shringadeva. But this is, they're all aspects, manifestations of the supreme, same supreme personal Godhead. So when we say that these verses are the verses around which we should see, we should light the whole Bhagavatam, we mean that when there is spiritual revelation, if it does not correspond with this, this explanation that the Bhagavatam gives of the Godhead, then you might want to be a little weary maybe the drug's not the best avenue. For this path, for us, we, fo we follow this revelation because we are seeing the Bhagavatam as Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu saw the Bhagavatam. And his conclusion is the conclusion that we accept. And his conclusion, what did he like? He liked the what? The commentary of Sridhar Swami. We're going to touch upon that because it, that comes up again that Jiva, for his evidence, when we look at this revelation, for his evidence, he quotes the Bhagavatam and he uses specifically the commentary of Sridhar Swami, except when? When that commentary deviates from the personless conception. So Sridhar Swami did put some bait in his commentary for the Advaitins, for the impersonalists, trying to draw them into the personal conception of God. Well, where he does that, Jiva Goswami, he doesn't accept that. So let's get to the verses. 
So we're up to Anucheta 48, and what Jiva Goswami is doing now is he's going to go beyond these four verses, and he's going to use the two verses after these four as further evidence as to these concluding points uh, that he's making. So this is actually the close of a section of his Tattvasandarva. Pramiya, where it is what is knowable. So, love of God transcends the bliss of Brahman. This is Jiva Goswami, English translation. Srila Vyasudeva experienced the preeminence of this ultimate attainment, the bliss of pure love of God, that it includes yet transcends even Brahmananda, the bliss of Brahman awareness. This we know because Vyasudeva taught Sukadeva Goswami Srimad Bhagavatam so that the unique bliss inherent in love of God could be made available to him. Even though Sukadeva was already absorbed in Brahmananda, Sutta Goswami states in the verse beginning with Sa Samhitam Bhagavatim, the great sage Vyasudeva after compiling the Srimad Bhagavatam and revising it, taught it to his own son, Sri Sukadev Goswami, who was already engaged in self-realization. So this is the eighth verse. These verses that we chanted end with the seventh. So now we're going to take a little bit of a, a recap, which is done in the commentary because as students we may misunderstand what exactly it means when it says after compiling Srimad Bhagavatam and then revising it. And what we're going to touch upon here is the proper chronology. The chronology of how this Srimad Bhagavatam came about. So we realize Srila Vyasudeva wanted to do the best for humanity He's a avatar of the Supreme Lord himself. And Kali Yuga was approaching. He saw our unfortunate position, the humanity's unfortunate position in the age of Kali. Lives are short-lived. Memory is short. Intelligence is very much hampered. Memory is poor. And the qualities, truthfulness, cleanliness, austerity, and mercy are also greatly inhibited, practically to the point of nil, especially by the end of this age, which is practically unimaginable how how low mankind can go. But Bhagavatam even gives us some indications of that. So first of all, at the end of Dwarpa Yuga, Krishna was here, and he invented, he had his pastimes in Vraj, then he went to Mathura, acting as if he was frightened. He built himself a fort on the ocean and moved all of his family there called Dwarka. He enacted his pastimes in Vraj, in Mathura, and in Dwarka. Those pastimes are very elaborately described in the 10th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. And then he wrapped up his pastimes and he disappeared. He no longer manifests. The Lord's pastimes are eternal. When they are visible in humanity, 
They're called prakat. When they're not visible, they're aprakat. Great saints and sages who are themselves pure unalloyed devotees, they can enter into the Lord's pastimes at any time in the aprakat manifestation. In other words, they enter into the consciousness of spirituality and, and actually participate in the pastimes. In samadhi, very advanced stage of spirituality. But for humanity in general, entrapped in the Lord's external energy, the Lord personally comes once in the day of Brahma and he enacts his pastimes. Krishna enacted his pastimes, then he wrapped his pastimes up, and he was no longer visible in humanity. At that time, when Krishna disappeared, Kali appeared. There's a little bit of, an, of, a, of a time between the end of Dwarpa Yuga and the beginning of Kali Yuga. But at that time, after Kali appeared, Srila Vyasudeva compiled the following literatures in a written form for humanity. He first took the one Veda, the Ajur Veda, and he divided it into four sections. He abridged the one billion verses of the Puranas into 18 major Puranas with a total of 400,000 verses. And that included, in that Purana, Purana means those histories, was included the first installment of the Srimad Bhagavatam. So first we have the four Vedas. First we have the Ajurveda divided into four parts. Then we have all these verses related to the Supreme Lord. And he, he put those in. He took 400,000 and he gave us 18 Puranas of which we have the Bhagavatam. Then he composed the Mahabharata. Originally six million verses. That's a big book. Who could get through it on this planet? So it had a hundred sections, the original Mahabharata, and six million verses. For the people on earth, for humanity, he cut that down to a hundred thousand verses in eighteen sections. So that's our Mahabharata. A hundred thousand verses of those six million verses in 18 sections opposed to a hundred sections. Where'd the rest of all his work go? It went to the citizens of the heavenly planets. So they benefit from that. Of that Mahabharata, we have a heart. There's a heart in the Mahabharata composed of 700 verses. That's called the Bhagavad Gita. Lord Krishna's dialogue with Arjuna on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. That's in one section of the Mahabharata called the Bhishma Parva. So then he distilled. We have the 18 Puranas, we have the Vedas, four parts, we have the 18 Puranas, we have the Mahabharata. And then he distilled from the Mahabharata and the Vedas and the Puranas the Vedanta Sutra. Here's the essence of all this. This is the essence of the spirituality contained in all these literatures, Vedanta Sutra. And after all that work, what was his condition? He wasn't satisfied, so he went to his spiritual master. Then, 
based on this revelation, he redid an expanded Srimad Bhagavatam composed of 18,000 verses, which is his mature commentary on his Vedanta Sutra. And the Vedanta Sutra was what? His commentary on everything else that he'd written. So he'd taken the essence of all that, then he wrote the Vedanta Sutra, then he had his revelation, then he wrote an expanded Srimad Bhagavatam for humanity's benefit, really bringing out Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna Stu Bhagavan Swayam, and that's 18,000 verses. I want to go over one little technicality for our edification because it has come up. Well, I went to the Srimad Bhagavatam that his Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami did, his with his disciples completing that, and there's only 14,094 verses. But it says there's 18,000 verses in the Srimad Bhagavatam. What happened to the other 3,900 and some odd verses? Did somebody throw those out? When we look at the verses, the way they're counted, you've heard this term grantha. So a grantha is a sloka of 32 syllables. You will find in the Srimad Bhagavatam, especially in the fifth canto where there's a lot of dialogue, you'll find that the slokas are not comprised of 32. So when we talk about 18,000 Verses we're talking about 18,000 gruntas of 32 syllables. But some of the verses are very long, which means they contain more than 32 syllables. So if you were to go back and count the syllables in the Srimad Bhagavatam and divide by 32, you would come up with your figure of 18,000. Rest of the history, Maharaj Parikshit chastises Kali. Uh, Shringi curses Maharaj Parikshit. Sukadev is called upon because Maharaj Parikshit has decided to fast till death because he's offended in Brahman. And thus we have the first speaking of the Bhagavatam from the lips of Sukadev Goswami. So Srila Vyasadev has already compiled it at the departure of Krishna. When we read in the verse, after compiling and revising it, after compiling it and revising it, this explanation is there. What does it mean by revising it? He represented it in an expanded form. So one of Srila Vyasadeva's most profound realizations in his samadhi, his revelation, was that Bhaktiananda exceeds Brahmananda. The pleasure of having a loving relationship with the Supreme Lord far exceeds the pleasure that one has simply by realizing their individual spirituality. This is brought out in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu by Srila Rupa Goswami. If multiplied 
trillions of times. The transcendental pleasure derived from impersonal Brahman realization still could not compare to even a single drop of the ocean of bliss of pure devotion. Now we come back to the Anucheda. The first part of it was the fact that part of his revelation was Brahmananda, realizing ourself. And what really is Brahmananda? If we look at it in, perspective, in the perspective of spirituality, we're looking at perceiving our spiritual being after we have dissipated any desire for exploitative enjoyment. Unfortunately, in the material realm, every enjoyment comes at the cost of another. You cannot breathe the air without taking another living entity's life. You can't eat a meal, even if you're a vegetarian, without taking another entity's life. You can wear a white mask and say, well, I'm not breathing in the little insects. Well, there's insects finer than your mask. That's the reality of material existence. Brahmananda is the state of realization where we come to no longer exploit for our existence. We accept gratefully whatever, the, whatever comes of its own accord. The sages, they have no desire for any exploitative enjoyment. So that's Brahmananda. So when we talk of Bhaktiananda, that enjoyment which comes from having a relationship with the Supreme Lord in love, that's trillions of times more pleasurable than being relieved of the miseries of material existence. I know they say we have a pessimistic viewpoint of things. That's the nature of the spiritualist. He does. He does have a pessimistic view of things. Because he sees he could have the best life in the world. He could be the richest person, the most beautiful person, the most intelligent person, the most talented person. And guess what? It doesn't matter. At the end, it's like sticking a pin in a balloon. Poof. But spiritual life, if we spend any little part of our life pursuing a spiritual aim, that's never lost. Krishna guarantees in the Bhagavad Gita a little advancement on this path will save you from the greatest danger of karmic involvement. And whatever progress you've made in spiritual life, even if you couldn't do it right, even if you got it all wrong, whatever you did, I'm going to preserve. And whatever you didn't get done, whatever you lacked, I'm going to take care of that for you. That's the school of bhakti. In this verse, the phrase Kritvanukramya, after composing and revising, indicates that Vyasadeva first wrote Srimad Bhagavatam in abbreviated form, and that later on, after being instructed by Narada Muni, he expanded and rearranged it. So that's basically what's primarily presented in Anucheta 48. We'll go forward to 49. This is where Srila Jiva Goswami dives a l deeper into giving some authority to this statement from the Srimad Bhagavatam that Bhaktiananda is superior to Brahmananda. 
In reply to a question posed by Sri Sonika, Sutta Goswami speaks the verse beginning, Atmaramas Chamunayo. So this is a very, very famous verse from Srimad Bhagavatam. How important is it? Well, Lord Chaitanya, in talking with Sarvabhuma Bhattacharya, gave some explanations for this verse. He was converting this great impersonalist, Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya, and he gave 64 explanations to this verse. Atmaramas Chamunayo, all different varieties of Atmaramas, those that take pleasure in being, those that don't take pleasure from the world, they take pleasure being in the world, but not being of the world. That's the Atmarama. He's self-satisfied. He doesn't need to go through his senses to enjoy his self. Those who take pleasure in the Atma or spirit self, especially those established on the path of self-realization. Though freed from all kinds of material bondage, desire to render unalloyed devotional service under the personality of Godhead. This means that the Lord possesses transcendental qualities and therefore can attract everyone, including liberated souls. Srila Sukadev Goswami, son of Srila Vyasadeva, was not only transcendentally powerful, he was also very dear to the devotees of the Lord. Thus he underwent the study of this great narration, Srimad Bhagavatam. In this verse, the word nirgrantha, free from bonds, means either beyond the stipulations and prohibitions of scripture or free from the knot of egoic identity. The adjective ahaituki, causeless, qualifies bhakti. It means devoid of seeking or anticipating any particular outcome or result. And to put an end to all doubts, Sri Sutta Goswami declares, indeed the nature of Lord Hari is such that even Atmaramas feel attracted to him. There's some explanation here on that. So when we talk about Nirgrantha, Jiva Goswami is pointing out that that means that those people who are so situated in their spiritual life that they're not bound by the laws of Scripture. Artha, Dhamma, Kama, and Moksha. We live in this world in a way that we can, we can satisfy ourselves within the world and we can free ourselves from the bonds of material existence. That's Moksha, liberation. Very few, as Krishna explains in Bhagavad Gita, very few in the world want free of the world. The spiritualists are, very, are few and far between. What to speak of those that are thoroughly honest? That's, that's a whole other class of spiritualist. One that comes to spirituality, understands his condition in the world, and realizes without help, I'm not going to get anywhere. The world is overwhelming to me. That's where 
especially the school of bhakti, shine supreme because our course of action culminates in complete surrender. And complete surrender means I'm placing myself in the hands of the supreme and his reliable agents and his loving devotees and saying, please help me. Not like the yogis, not like the jnanis who study and try to extricate themselves from material nature by acquiring knowledge of everything within nature. Oh, I can see everything here. I can understand everything regarding Sankhya philosophy and what is spirit and what is matter. What am I? Or the great yogis. I can perform some great austerities and through those austerities and through those practices gain mastery of my mind only to find what I thought I had my mind under control along comes some trick of maya and all those austerities can be lost to me in the blink of an eye or the great spiritualists who perform tremendous sacrifices to advance themselves materially only to find that when they make one small error all for naught all the preparations all the knowledge all the employment of all the brahmins and uh, to acquire a son or to acquire a wife or to acquire wealth or to acquire entrance in the kingdom of heaven or to give some some sanctuary to a de- dear departed one all those things can be easily lost if not performed properly. But this all falls within the category of artha, dharma, kama. And at least we have scripture to give us some direction in that regard. But what does the Atmarama verse speak of? It speaks of that very, very limited class of humanity that is fully dedicated to spirituality. They've made it their primary goal in life. And it doesn't matter which of these Atmaramas, these great spiritualists, whichever one they may be, coming from whatever school, when they come into contact with Bhakti, with the Supreme, through through Bhagavatam even, through the lips, the sound vibration coming from the sadhus, Krishna's pure devotees, when they come in contact with that, that immediately attracts them. Atmarama Shamunaiva. This is the special characteristic of Sriman Bhagavatam, that it can attract this class of spiritualists, no matter what, where they are. And this is evidenced by Srila Sukadev Goswami, who was already fully situated in Brahmananda. And he immediately, he was able to hear some verses from the Bhagavatam. And again, there's some reference to the fact that Srila Vyasudev had his disciples who were out collecting firewood for him as one would do in an ashram could you go out and get some wood for the cooking or to keep us warm at night 
he would have them chant verses. Now, the history doesn't say which verses were actually there, but there are some devotees who venture the following are the verses that attracted Sukadev. So I'm going to end tonight uh, with those. The first one shows Krishna's intimate love for his devotee. It's spoken by Bhishma Dev to Maharaj Yudhisthira on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. At the end of the battle, Bhishma Dev, who was a great warrior and a great yogi himself, he could determine his time of death. By transcendental arrangement, Yudhisthira, who was completely despondent at the end of the battle, thinking, look at what I've done. I've killed thousands of men here just so I could ascend the throne. Well, that wasn't the real case. He didn't really want the throne, but he wanted to to set things right in humanity, which didn't have good guidance at the time. Therefore, we have the whole battle of Kurukshetra. This verse, one of three verses which some great sadhus believe were the verses that attracted Sukadev from his position of Brahmananda to Bhaktiananda. O king, that personality whom, out of ignorance only, you thought to be your maternal cousin, your very dear friend, well-wisher, counselor, messenger, benefactor, etc., is that very personality of Godhead Sri Krishna. So this verse highlights Krishna's intimate love for his devotee. How intimate is that love where he's willing to act the part of Arjuna's charioteer. He's willing to be the messenger carrier for Yudhisthira. He's willing to dine with them as family member to sit on a bed and, and, and have conversation as if they were close friends, to sit and play dice and chess. How intimate is that friendship that the Supreme Lord will enter into a, that kind of friendship with his devotee? The next verse shows Krishna's mercy. Alas, how shall I take shelter of one more merciful than he who granted the position of mother to a she-demon, Putana. Although she was unfaithful, and she prepared deadly poison to be sucked from her breast. Who else would you want to go to for mercy? Here's somebody acting like a mother that wants to kill you, and you extend them the, the mercy of saying, okay, you suck their you suck the poison and you make them a mother in your heavenly kingdom I don't think there's a a greater display of mercy to be had in the three worlds and in all the transcendental worlds and the last verse which shows Krishna's maduria, beauty and his charm wearing a peacock feather ornament upon his head blue Kanikara flowers on his ears, a yellow garment as brilliant as gold, and the Vijayanti garland. Lord Krishna exhibited his transcendental form as the greatest of dancers as he entered the forest of Vrindavan. 
beautifying it with the marks of his footprints. He filled the holes of his flute with the nectar of his lips, and the cowherd boys sang his glories. So this wraps up the section on Pramea, the truths which are to be known. So first was Pramana. How do you acquire that which is to be known? How do you acquire relevant knowledge? And now Jiva is wrapping up Pramaya. Pramaya is, well, what what's is knowable? That? If you're going to know some, if you want to know the highest, the most of what your being is all about, then he's presented that in this section. And what is to be known? The revelation. Spiritual life is to be experienced. It's for us to enter into through revelation. That requires some, some energy from that side coming to us, inviting us in to have that revelation. We're going to go on here, and he's going to begin to elaborate here in the end of the Tatpasandarbha, we're up to the 50th Anucheda. All the Sundarbhas deal and revolve around the nucleus of the Srimad Bhagavatam and the revolution of Vyasudeva. So he's established this now for us. And we can move forward in establishing Sambandagyan, a deep understanding of it so that there's no question. And uh, I'll stop there. Are there any questions? read something uh, I'm not sure if it was a continuation of it was when you were um, tra- reading the Atmarama's verse yes. and it said that uh, Sukha was very dear to devotees so he studied the Bhagavatam um, and I just thought that was an interesting it almost seems like there's like something implied there I, I don't know if you know because like uh, like he's dear to devotees, which means like he's uh, I don't know very like realized. Right. Vishnu Jana Priya is the term. So that's the part of the verse. Uh, that's from uh, the eleventh verse in the seventh chapter of Sri Sukadev Goswami, son of Sri Vyasudeva, was not only transcendentally powerful. He was also very dear to the devotees, Vishnu Janapriya of the Lord. Thus he underwent the study of this great narration, Srimad Bhagavatam. Remember, he was situated in Brahmananda. So he was already self-realized as far as him, his being in what we would call impersonalism. He was fully unaffected by the modes of material nature. So... That made him specifically qualified. Uh, specifically qualified in that Srila Vyasadeva saw him not only that he was a dear son, and of course we want to give the very best that we can give to our son, or to our family, to natural things. So, but that he, he was also ex- perfectly qualified because he had, n- he had no attachment to material nature. So there was no possibility 
There was no possibility that he would give a self-motivated interpretation to anything in the Bhagavatam. He was so qualified, he would appear to be less, less attached to material nature than his very father. What's that evidenced by? The fact that when he left home, he was a young man, naked. And when he walked by a bathing gap of young girls, they have this tendency to know what's in a man's mind somehow. They didn't even care to bother to, to cover their bodies. And when Vyasadeva came to follow him and come home, come home, come back, I want to give you Bhagavatam, the women immediately, seeing Srila Vyasadeva, covered their bodies because he discriminated between who was a woman and who was a man. Sukadeva Goswami had no such discrimination. He had no... That's how totally uninvested he was in material affairs. So that's the one explanation, is the explanation that he was very dear to Krishna's devotee, Srila Vyasadeva, as a son and as the most qualified recipient of the instructions contained in the Bhagavatam because he could deliver them perfectly. How perfectly? When he instructed Maharaj Parikshit, who, who wasn't there? Everybody was there. Narada wanted to hear the way he delivered Bhagavatam. Vyasudeva wanted to hear the way he delivered Bhagavatam. Everybody wanted to hear the way he delivered Bhagavatam because they knew this will be a perfect presentation of the content of Bhagavatam. He's also considered dear because in delivering the Bhagavatam, he became the most dear to Krishna's devotees, Vishnu Janapriya. Thank you so much for your association. Hare Krishna.